Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Passages of Summer edition of the 7 a.m. Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now, we all know that the early pages of a novel or story are really difficult to get right. Early pages of a memoir, early pages of an essay. So this summer, we're discussing the choices that went into a range of authors' first pages in terms of scenes, structure, language, etc., and how these choices might help you with your own first pages. Today, we hear from one of my favorites, Nancy Crochere, who is going to share the first pages of her debut novel, Graceland, which just came out in May. Now, you guys aren't hearing this until August, but I'm just going to tear the tear the cloth off the, what is this? I don't even know the reference to Wizard of Oz. Open the remove, curtains. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, remove the veil or something. Remove I, the yeah. veil, because I am actually... <laughs> Uh, interviewing Nancy the day after her debut. Nancy, how does it feel? Completely overwhelming and spectacular. Yay! So good morning to you, Nancy. The day after, Nancy said she still needs to shower, but I think we all still need to shower. I think that's okay. <laughs> yes. I think yes. that's okay the yes. day after you. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for being on the show. I also just outed Nancy. <laughs> Okay, Nancy, for th this is how I know Nancy. <laughs> All good. All good. All good. So for 13 years, Nancy chronicled the ups and downs of family life in her humorous newspaper column, The Motherlode, which she later published as a collection that was a finalist for Forward, Forward Review's Book of the Year in Humor and the Independent Publisher's New England 2014 Book Award. She has also written essays for the Boston Globe, Writer's Digest, and WBUR's Cognoscetti. Once her daughters finished college, because you know how daughters can be, Nancy decided to pursue her lifelong uh, writing dream to write a novel. And that's when we got her in the Grub Street Novel Incubator Program, which I was very happy to have her with us. The result is Graceland, her first novel. Now, Leon Moriarty, who some people might read, right? I think she's pretty famous. She said of Graceland, quote, Graceland is a sparkling, warm-hearted, witty debut. I so enjoyed joining these three generations of women on their action-packed road trip to Memphis. The fact that Leanne even responded to a blurb request for this novel is huge. So congratulations on that, Nancy. She must have loved it. Okay, Nancy, give us a quick overview of the book and why the book is so awesome, basically. <laughs> What is, what is what is the storyline? What is what is the basic? So we have some context of the first pages. Absolutely, no problem. Yeah, Hope um, Hope Robinson, my my protagonist, is uh, an introvert and a people pleaser, but she's never been able to please her flamboyant Elvis obsessed mother, uh, who is the former soap star Olivia Grant. And Olivia is retired now, and she's ailing, and she's on oxygen. And she insists on visiting Graceland one more time before she dies, and she needs Hope to take her. Unfortunately, Memphis is the one place Hope can't go. Hope left her hometown years ago with a secret and um, actually a signed agreement never to return. So um, Olivia is, is not one to take no for an answer, and she wrangles Hope's uh, pink-haired activist teenage daughter, Dylan, into driving her to Memphis. And she does this by promising uh, to the girl that, she, that she, in Memphis, she will get something that she desperately wants, which is to finally meet her mystery father. 
so once Hope, Hope realizes that her mother and her daughter have taken off together, she has no choice but to chase them and try to stop them um, before they get to Memphis and reveal her secret, which will be a disaster for the whole family. Yes, and disasters are very good for fiction. Also, Olivia Grant, I would argue, is one of the great characters of contemporary fiction. Um, <laughs> she is phenomenal. Um, and I know when we were working on this novel with Nancy that when you find such a great character with that, you have to make sure that your other characters also uh, hold their own weight. And that can be very difficult, but I think Nancy has done it. Okay, Nancy, let's hear from the beginning when we get Hope's uh, first point of view chapter. Okay, this is chapter one, Hope. Two days before my mother and daughter disappeared, my mother did something entirely out of character. She asked for my help. She took her time, of course. Say what you want about my mother, the woman won't be rushed. Even after I'd rinsed our lunch plates and tucked the leftover pod tie into her fridge, she refused to explain the message she'd left at my office saying she needed to see me urgently. It wasn't until I'd sunk deep into her overstuffed sofa and she'd handed me a cup of sloshing, a sloshing cup of tea that I fully appreciated her genius. My only escape would be to sip my way out. Finally, though, she seemed to be coming to the point. I could tell because she'd moved to the window. My mother never plays a scene without using light and shadow to her advantage. If you Google old episodes of The Light Within, you'll notice how before delivering a key line, she lifts her chin and cocks her head toward the light. For years, my father and I debated whether her movement was instinctive or if she blocked it out in advance. Either way, whenever Olivia Grant is about to deliver a show-stopping line, a window is invariably to her right. And so, with her signature chin lift and head tilt, my mother shared what was so urgent. Before I die, she said, I want to see Graceland again. I didn't mean to snort. Never in my 40 years had I made fun of my mother's obsession with Elvis, at least not to her face. She'd simply caught me off balance and I laughed to cover my panic. Graceland? Graceland, for God's sake? Just the thought of Memphis made my stomach turn. Leave it to my mother to ask for the one thing I absolutely couldn't do. Which part do you find amusing, Hope, she asked. Graceland or my dying? Mom, I said, determined to steer the conversation away from Memphis. You are not dying. She turned, and as if on cue, the green tube connected to her oxygen dispenser caught on the edge of the coffee table, yanking the cannula from her face. I had to give her points for that one. Effective use of props. We're all dying, she said, repositioning the prongs under each nostril. I'm just doing it faster than the average, the average 79 year old. With the afternoon sun backlighting her profile, my mother was still stunning. Snow white hair pulled back into a chignon, nose long and thin with a hint of distinctive crookedness. I started to protest, but she waved me off. No, no, this isn't self-pity. I'm explaining why we need to do this Memphis trip soon, right away, in fact. 
I bent forward and gulped the tea, scalding my mouth. I needed to end this conversation quickly, decisively, for all time. My mother didn't realize what she was asking. I understand you want to see Graceland again, mom. I said, substituting want for need the way I did with my daughter, Dylan, when she needed Lady Gaga tickets. I just can't take you anytime soon. Work is out of control. This wasn't the real reason, but had the advantage of being true. The entire marketing department at EduLearn was putting in crazy hours. I couldn't afford time off, not after I'd missed a key meeting two weeks ago when Dylan pulled that stunt at school. Let's plan a trip for later this year, I said, not specifying where. Maybe in the fall. My mother clapped a hand to her forehead. You're missing the point. It's getting harder for me to travel now that I'm tethered to this. She wagged a finger at the tubing circling her face. This cannoli, cannula. She knew the word. It was her idea of a joke. Whatever. She flung a hand into the air as if playing to the folks in the mezzanine. My mother had, spoke, had smoked three packs of camels a day for most of her life, despite my father's pleas for her to quit. She'd known the risks. And yet when her new specialist at Mass General repeated that she needed oxygen day and night, even in the shower, I'd watched her close her eyes as if betrayed. A two nicotine. I love that line. Okay, fabulous, yay. I mean, it's such a delight for me to be able to look back through this now that she's getting the book published and see, you know, even more changes that she's made since since I've been able to see it because I worked with Nancy um, a few years ago, actually. Um, so it's it's there's stuff here, um, you know, such as the line, my only escape would be to sit my way out is also an amazing new line that Nancy's got in there. Um, Nancy, now I know you worked on these first pages a lot. We all work on first pages until we want to kill ourselves. What was mm -hmm. the process like for you in doing that? Well, um, it's interesting because uh, these this opening scene, these first pages were, were where I did actually start writing the novel. And yeah. um, it seems amazing to me that they endured um, but it was a start I always loved. It had that basic, uh, I need you to, I need you to do something for me. What is the, 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 the Charles Baxter, uh, um, book. I, there's Roll something, I need, to, there's something, something I, I need you to do. do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right up front. Um, so I did work on this scene over the years and I even considered moving it so it wasn't the first scene because it turns out, you know, as I started writing, I realized there was some some there were some events that had happened earlier that I wanted to talk about. And um, but I liked this opening so much that I ended up going with it. And then we do a little quick uh, in in a chapter or two, we do a little quick back story back drop to drop back to the things that happened earlier yeah yeah um and it just I mean it sets up the characters so well it even sets up uh her daughter because we get that quick line that 
her daughter needed tickets to Lady Gaga, which immediately sets up how old her daughter is. Um, and just, just a slight glimpse of what that relationship is like, just a glimpse so that when we get to her daughter's point of view and, and we get more set up of that later, even, even more later in this chapter. So I think it works really well. Um, you also had some comments early on, I think, and every writer I know has comments like this from editors or agents when they take on the work, you know, the I need, you need to pick up the pacing, you need to pick up the pacing, right? You need to, it's, it's too long, it's too, um, and, and when we starting, when we're starting a book where the request is made right on the front page, it's kind of difficult to be like, well, where do I cut or where do I pick up on the page pacing? And you even said that, that you wanted to kind of go back and, and fill in on some other um, uh, information and things that had happened before. So how did you, how did you manage that with your agents and editors of, of, you know, getting the pacing going without also including what you knew you needed to include? Yeah, I think for me, it was a case of really examining things almost on a line by line basis, uh, yeah. because I, I just needed to examine almost each sentence with does this need to be revealed now? Or does this need is this important information right this minute? Or could this information be covered a little bit later? And I think that was yeah. one, one of the main things that that I did. Um, yeah, in terms of the in terms of keeping the pacing going in these initial pages. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing for all writers to think about. Do I absolutely need this here, or can I save it? And if if you have just a just a little thought, I think I can save it. Then you probably want to save it because you do want to get those first pages moving pretty quickly. Um, but you do also sneak in information. You know, we've got this scene going. And we've got this wonderful humor that allows you to, to make some, some asides and fill in some information. So that whole wonderful paragraph about my mother never plays a scene without using light and shadow to advantage. That's where you're able to work in that your mother starred in old episodes of The Light Within. Um, and it's, it's just a, a perfect way to feel like we're actually not getting exposition, um, even though we are. Um, so I think the sense of humor is able to help you a lot. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. that particular paragraph where I talk about um, Olivia's uh, soap opera affectation and how she always wants the light to be shining on her from a certain direction was something that almost everyone across the board, agents and editors Im immediately liked about those first pages. And in fact, um, the first, the first page of Graceland won two first page contests. One was uh, the one they do at the Grub Street Muse in the marketplace where yeah. they have agents vote on, on the best first page. And another one was the uh, Unbound Book Festival in, in Missouri. Um, and Graceland was one of the winners there. So I knew I had something there and I loved the fact that it did introduce the character of Olivia right up front. It gives you a real sense of who she is immediately. And it also introduces sort of a major image in the book or, or theme, um, the theme of light and darkness and shadow because Olivia adores bright light and warmth and sunshine and her daughter Hope is always hiding in the shadows. Um, almost all of Hope's scenes take place in 
dark places like in, you know, in subways or in uh, uh, at night or in jail cells, uh, things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah not, not, to give, not to give that was just a little hint about something that might happen in the book. <laughs> a, a fantastic jail, jail cell scene um, is promised to you. Um, but we also get, so what's interesting is we also get resistance to going to Memphis from hope, and yet we don't know why. And I think that that is really useful because again, it forces the reader to ask a question, oh, hope is hiding something from us here. Um, even though it's first person, you can still do that because hope, I think, is hiding a lot of this from herself. This is not something that she talks easily about what happened in Memphis. So the fact that she's not telling the reader this feels really natural to her. Um, it feels very much like hope because hope just keeps a whole lot in. And that's part of her journey that, that she needs to release that um, as you go through the book. Um, it, it is, although, you know, I have to but in the in the opening chapter, it's almost like a little bit of shorthand because it's a first person narrator. So she's not she's thinking these things, but she's not necessarily explaining them because it's it's her her thought process. And then um, we get into future scenes in in chapter one, and she's gradually thinking through things a little bit more. So you learn more and more. But that was something that I had to work on. Um, too that I think everybody who has a chap who has a character with a secret needs to work on is how and when to reveal things because I think you can wait too long to reveal things even even when you do have a, a character who is hiding and secretive like mine I think the reader can get annoyed uh if you if you drag it on too long Absolutely. Absolutely. So you really just have to, I mean, how did you negotiate that? Because I, I feel like it's really paying attention to, well, who is my character? Because Hope isn't, she's not a deceptive person. I don't see her that way. Um, uh, and so she's not, she's, she's not, she has a secret, but she's not, um, She's not overly, I don't see her as deceptive. I, don't, I wouldn't put the, the word label, liar on her. Um, so how did you manage that of where, where you can reveal and where not? How did you follow her on that? Yeah, no, you know, you're right. I mean, the, the fact is that Hope is a horrible liar. She's very bad at it. <laughs> right. <laughs> she, she wants to, and that's been her problem. She, she wants to keep things um, for, for reasons that, you know, are, are revealed in the book. She she needs to keep uh, certain things secret, and she's horrible at it. Her daughter can tell that that there's just something that's not right when when she, you know, tries to get information out of her. So in terms of um, how to gauge when the reader needs to know that stuff, I found I really had to I had to rely a lot on my on my outside readers for that. Yeah. And I think yeah. I think initially I had um, I had placed a lot of the revelations later in the book, and and I learned through very you know good readers, uh, you some of the agents that I talked to at Manuscript Mart, my outside readers uh, and novel incubator, that um, uh, you're actually more invested in the character if you know more about what their problem is early on. Yeah. So, so I, I did keep moving it 
sooner uh, and sooner. And I think now, you know, you feel you within the first few chapters, you you know what hope is up against, basically. And I think that maybe uh, makes the reader in her court, on her side, trying to to fix this mess that she somehow accidentally got herself into. Right, right. And it's, um, you know, because the reader, we want suspense more than surprise. Uh, and we want to worry about the character. And we're not going to be able to worry about the character unless we know enough to worry about. Um, and so when we do find out more about what's going on with hope, um, then um, it actually, it, it gives us more questions to ask, you know, how is she going to handle this? How is she going to get through this? Um, and, and we're on her side more than more. And I think that's more of an interesting question than what is she hiding from me and repeating that question. I mean, if the reader is forced to just repeat the same question over and over again, we're going to get very tired. So you need right. to alter, complicate that, that initial question that you give to us. You need to um, add to it or change it or grow it in some way um, to make those pages work. Yeah. Let's talk about this goal by request. Um, we have now we have a very resistant character who does not want to go on the journey that you've set up for her. And she very much does not want to go. And so there's a lot of these sorts of characters can be very, very difficult. She's not passive. <laughs> That's another very difficult character to deal with. A character who's just the passive observer. Uh, but you've got a character that downright does not want to take on um, the journey that's given to her. And so um, a lot of writers refer to this again by as a goal by request. Her mother has made the request of her and it's something that she can't turn down and she can't really tell her mother why um, she doesn't want to go and why it would be so bad. Um, and eventually, though, usually with a goal by request and, and um, Nancy, I can't remember what point in the novel you might have done this, but usually at some point, the character needs to eventually take on the request of their own. They need to become interested in it of their own and not fully resist that. So does that happen at some point in the novel? I believe it does here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it, it hopes, Hope's goal does, does change, absolutely. I think she... Her first goal is to just stop her mother and daughter and continue to keep this information from her daughter, but not too far into it, maybe, you know, a third of the way in. Um, and I, I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying this, but she's, um, she, she learns that, you know, her daughter basically knows that she's been lying to her all her life. And so that that makes, that changes the the journey. And then, you know, there are other, changes in her goal when, you know, she's trying to keep this, uh, what happened, you know, 17, 18 years ago, a secret. Uh, but it turns out that um, she, she needs to sort of rearrange in, you know, what happened in her understanding, because she didn't have a full understanding of what happened. So then her, then her goals change again. And then she's racing around Memphis and there might be a jail cell involved. Yes, there might be. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and so obviously we have, obviously we have a goal set for Olivia. Yes. Uh, but she's hiding something as well, which she is. is yes. She has, she has about. a couple, she has a couple different goals. Uh, one of her goals is to 
get get her daughter to Memphis because Olivia has figured out that Hope has left a secret there many years ago and is not doing a good job of moving on with her life. It, while she has the secret, she's pushing everybody away to keep the secret. She's pushing her daughter away. She's pushing her mother away. So that one of uh, Olivia's goals is to is to in fact reveal Hope's secret and force her to to face it. Um, but yes, Olivia has a, a goal of her own, and uh, that was something that I think we added during the novel incubator when you so graciously pointed out that Olivia is you know she's she's having a a reckoning in her life. She she knows that you know she has a terminal disease. Uh, but she has been for many years a very kind of uh, self-centered, narcissistic character. And so we have the two forces at work within her. The, the, the person that she's been, which was largely shaped by the villainous character that she played for so many years in, on TV and got into her skin. And, uh, and then the person that she might have been you know, the mother and grandmother that she might have been. And she has to sort of deal with those two different, um, two different uh, persons in, in herself. And it, it brings up the fact that as I've, I've talked about before with the book, the book, uh, Graceland is at heart a story about identity and sort of yeah. figuring out how we can embrace our truth and be who we too, truly are, um, in uh, in opposition to who we think others really want us to be. Right, exactly. And so, which is a wonderful inner conflict that, that really brings these characters forth. And of course, you don't just have them, we need that inner conflict, we need those opposing forces uh, working inside the character, but we can't just have a character sitting on the couch aching over their inner conflict. You have to put them, <laughs> you have to put them in motion and allow the external story to reflect the internal conflict so that we have a dramatic situation. Um, so it's done perfectly. And I mean, you're again, dealing with three points of views and Dylan also has a goal. Yes, yes, yeah. Dylan is a, um, a, a very uh, impulsive, uh, surprising, you know, uh, young teenager. She's a little, uh, Olivia, Olivia refers to her as a, a blender with the top off. At first, right. uh, she, at first, she and her grandmother don't even get along all that well. They're sort of using each other almost on this road trip. Um, but they do come to more of an understanding. And yes, uh, Dylan, Dylan has in her own life uh, figured out recently, as I said, that her mother has been lying to her and that there's, you know, there's something about her father that she's not telling her. And it's Olivia who says, your father is, is uh, in fact, not dead as your mother has, has told you he's in Memphis and you can meet him. Perfect. So three point of views, three goals. And I get a lot of questions. Do I need a goal for each of the main point of view protagonist characters um, in novels? And I'm like, yeah, if you can do it. <laughs> um, because then those goals are going to interfere with each other. It's going to cause conflict. Um, and that's going to give you your story. Um, there, there is, by the way, also natural obstacles. So the fact that um, Olivia has to use this cannoli, <laughs> a canula, <laughs> Um, I mean, there's a hilarious, really scary, maybe sad part during the trip, car trip, where the, she's actually running out of oxygen. <laughs> so it, it creates this wonderful, again, sad, scary uh, moment of conflict that is that is great for the reader. 
How was it for you to manage these three points of views and these three goals, layering these? It was tricky. Yeah, because um, I had the whole story. And I think when maybe even when I started the novel incubator, I might have only had two narrators, I might have only had um, Hope and Dylan at that point. And it just became clear that uh, Olivia was such a strong character and that she, um, I had wanted to keep a lot of her motivation secret. But again, it was that understanding that Uh, knowing her motivation was actually going to make the story stronger that uh, that made me bring her in as a third narrator uh, a third point of view um, uh, protagonist and um, yeah and then deciding which which person's goal goes where which person is goal is winning out at certain points Absolutely. And even um, within the the narrative, deciding uh, who was going to be telling the story at right. certain points, because um, there's sometimes uh, I had a, a scene written in one point of view, but it turned out either just because of the physical layout of the book, you wanted to alternate the, the, the point of views. And I needed the the scene to be told through somebody else's uh, eyes, you know, it had been told through Dylan's eyes and now it had to be Olivia's. And so you have to rewrite the whole scene to come at it from a completely different perspective. But it was, um, it was actually, it was actually fun. It was fun exploring those different voices. And sometimes those can be gifts because we might initially write a scene in one person's point of view and then be forced to write it in another person's point of view and discover really a more different emotional context than we than we had before that really brings out something interesting about the characters. And because all your characters are, it's interesting because Aristotle talks about this idea of one action and, and he talks about the, the cohesion in the story. If you If you do have multiple protagonists, that it's preferable if each protagonist's one action in some way thematically um, lines up with the other protagonist's one action, that that's a way to create cohesion in a, in a book like this. And you have absolutely done that here. Um, and Memphis becomes becomes the centerpiece for all of it. It becomes the, the uh, tangible component to all of their history and all of their desires and all of their fears. Um, and God, isn't that what Mensis is? It just is. <laughs> so it works so wonderfully. And Graceland too, as a, as a um, the epitome, the place of dreams and horror, <laughs> and an artifice as well. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I've been saying, you know, one of the reasons I chose Graceland as the destination is that for some people it's really campy and tacky, and for others it's uh, almost sacred. And so I like yeah. the idea of the destination being both of those things. And I also liked the the metaphor of of Graceland because on the journey, whether they know it or not, all the three characters are sort of searching for forgiveness and grace. Yeah, exactly. Okay, perfect. Let's, we're gonna have to end there because I need to get these folks to the writing desk. So everyone, you can find our full schedule on the Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can subscribe there for updates. You can also find our full range of podcast episodes on that page including episodes from our past two writing challenges, 
We did a really long one in the fall. It was 50 days and I almost lost my voice and went crazy, but we did it. And then we did one in March as well. There's so many great writers and thinkers talking about ideas and novels and structure um, and, and, and things that you want to think about in your own writing. So I, I recommend that you go back and, and check those episodes out. You can find them on the Substack page or on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review our podcast so we can reach other listeners. Okay, one last question for you, Nancy. What advice would you give to authors about their own first pages? I would say, actually, try to, try to do the opposite of what I did, which is to start with your first pages, because I think... You need to find out where your story starts first and not, um, uh, although it ended up working in the end for me, uh, you know, I think you can get too attached to where you start and I wait until you've got the story really solid and then come at it with the best first page possible. As you're working on your next book, are you approaching it differently? I am. Yeah. After all I learned in the, uh, in the novel incubator, uh, I want to be, I aspire to be much more of a plotter than uh, I was pretty much a pantser in the past. Good luck with that. We're very excited for the next one. Everyone check out Raceland. Thank you again so much for being with us and congratulations on the book. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Michelle.